Hey everyone, welcome to another Observations. I'm Rob Leifeld and today we are going to tackle a couple of uh, topics off the top of my head of uh, major uh, obsession and concern to me, not so much concern, definitely fascination, affection um, that we're going to kick off and, and, and get down to the meat of these comic book uh, topics, which again, as usual, stuff from my childhood is... Um, dominating the landscape of pop culture. So in this instance, I am speaking of Vision and Scarlet Witch, or as you have known them for the last two weeks on Disney Plus, WandaVision. Now here's what you're not going to get from me. You're not going to get uh, some reviews of the episodes. You're not going to get uh, conspiracy theories as to what the episodes mean. Uh, you're going to get a lot of praise. I think the show is great. And uh, Paul Bettany is just chomping at the bit, showing just how amazing uh, his range is. Uh, I remember early on in his career, A Knight's Tale, he was my absolute favorite. Uh, and then he went into a great dramatic uh, run with so many great, you know, performances in in A Beautiful Mind, in uh, Master and Commander, and, and all, all the way up to these Marvel films and beyond. He is such a talented and amazing actor with just amazing range. Elizabeth Olsen is brilliant. I have never seen her uh, perform at this level. She's great. She's always been great since she made her round through the early independent films and then, uh, you know, again, found her way through this Marvel empire where everyone seems to shine so bright. I'm not sure my kids would know who Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen were without the benefit of these Marvel Comics films. But today... Uh, despite how great these actors, the performances, the entire cast, uh, the entire creative, forgive me, vision of the show, uh, I am here because when I was a kid, Vision and Scarlet Witch dominated storylines for years. I mean, long, serious benders. Vision was multi-layered and Scarlet Witch was multi-layered in a way that that characters just weren't. At that time, the Human Torch was not as multi-layered as Vision. Uh, you know, Reed Richards was not as multi-layered as the Vision. Ben Grimm, Luke Cage, Power Man, Iron Fist, um, Daredevil was fascinating. But but the Vision and Scarlet Witch. When I started collecting comics in 1974 slash 1975, so again, I'm seven and eight at that time, and and these are vivid, vivid memories, you guys. When I uh, look at my own spinner rack behind me, most of the stuff, no, all of the stuff on the rack is between 1975 and 1982. To me, that is the sweet, sweet spot of comic books. I've, I've gone over it many times on the podcast. I believe those are the great visionaries of comics. Jack Kirby stands on a mountain all his own. He shouldn't share it with anyone. He gets his own damn mountain. But then uh, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, John Byrne, George Perez, Jim Starlin, Howard Shaken. These are guys you have heard me mention again and again and again. But one author who I do not give anywhere near uh, the attention and the affection for, and he is such a big part uh, of my early uh, uh, obsession with comics. He wrote so many of the comics that I loved and adored. His name is Steve Englehart. He was the primary scribe writer uh, on the Avengers uh, when I got into comics. He did the 1975 Squadron Supreme multi, uh, really first involvement with the multiverse that I knew. I, I covered this in my very, very first podcast. 
where it talks about how I was introduced to the Squadron Supreme. Now, the Squadron Supreme had existed before him, but he um, had did this extended Avengers Squadron Supreme storyline that is a favorite among pretty much anyone who was alive at that time or or who came to it around that time. It is, I, I actually believe it is not a story of its time. There, there's lots of comics and movies and television and, and even songs that are of a time. They, they only thrive in the time that they were created in. And then there's stuff that, that really does, uh, you know, rise above all of that and transcends time. And I think um, Engelhart's run on the Avengers is one of those runs that just transcends. And it, it really set the stage for everything that Jim Shooter and David Michelini did after uh, after Engelhart did his massive run. And so much of his run it was uh, part of this, this deep, deep characterization with Vision and Scarlet Witch. And they were the hottest couple of the 1970s, which is only fitting that they got a dedicated 70s uh, episode on WandaVision. But again, I'm not here to parse out different aspects of WandaVision. I'm talking about the comic book history of these characters. And you have no idea how weird it is. And it really, this all came to me because I was um, hanging out with my wife, as I am prone to do. I have worked at home for my entire marriage, my entire life. I have had a home studio, uh, done a ton of my work from home. And obviously I, I will have been married 26 years uh, this summer to my beautiful wife, Joy. And she has always put up with my comic book isms, my comic book uh, <laughs> obsession. I mean, let's be honest, it's my life between the toys, the games, the movies, the comics, all the stuff that's crashed in. And I just was fortunate enough to find this wonderful soul who um, tolerates me. You have never... Uh, lived until you have sat at a Valentine's Day dinner where I tell her all about <laughs> Matt Murdock and Electra Nostos, uh, you know, tumultuous relationship. And I actually told it in such a way that she was, she was pretty, pretty uh, like um, attentive and like, wow, this is a great story. And I'm like, yeah, that's Frank Miller. He's the best. He's the greatest. I've also done extended podcasts on this, so I'm not going to bore you with returning to my love of Matt Murdock, Electra Nastos, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and the, and the, and the Daredevil, uh, Electra saga, but Vision Scarlet Witch. So the, the show hasn't come out yet, but I decided I was going to, I was just going to tell my wife how bizarre they, that they were in comics and how relatively they're skipping over so much of the weirdness that is behind these, these, um, characters. And, and I'm going to tell you, you understand, let me reemphasize. I am eight years old, eight years old in 1975. When I encounter the vision and Scarlet Witch, they get married in 1975. This is part of their you know, the culmination of this, these two characters that are moving towards each other. But, but, and, and, and once they're together, it, it gets even more strange and complicated, but it is a twisted soap opera of comic book proportions that carried me through my youth. And, and, and we're going to discuss all of the weirdness because the, the movies and the television show will never, they will never get this weird. They will never walk up they can't. I'm going to read you some excerpts. I'm going to share some stuff from those comics, from those stories, 1975, 1979, stuff that you're going to go, what? Because again, I got the receipts. I was there. I bought this stuff. I read this stuff. I absorbed this stuff. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll start with Scarlet Witch first. So Scarlet Witch is the older of the two characters. As many of you know, she was introduced in X-Men number four alongside Pietro. Uh, 
Pedro. However, I, I, for a minute there on the show, I thought she called him Pedro. But um, Pietro, Pedro, whatever, uh, they were both introduced as part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants alongside Magneto. They were always brother and sister. Kitano, always brother and sister from their uh, first inception when we first saw them via Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, X-Men number four, alongside Mastermind and the Toad and, of course, Magneto. And over time, they would be selected. They would go from villains to heroes when they were selected to be Avengers as they were rehabbing with alongside Captain America. When that, um, when that team pared down and it became just Cap, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye, which it was for a, a, a very long period of time. And those books were being reprinted when I was a kid. Marvel Triple Action was the reprint vehicle for the Avengers stories that had happened about 10 years prior. So anything in 1967, 66 was coming out in like 1975. So I would get a Marvel Triple Action, which had a Jack Kirby or a Don Heck or a George Tusca Avengers tale alongside a George Perez Avengers. So I'm, you know, this is the age of the reprint. Marvel was masterful. They had Marvel Tales doing Spider-Man. Marvel's greatest comics did Fantastic Four. Uh, fantasy masterpieces did Silver Surfer. Uh, they, they just they had so many, um, you know, echoes of their of their publishing history that would come alongside the current stuff. So that if you were an avid comic book reader like myself, and I do not exaggerate this, I, I really need you to understand, comics were my drug. Um, Comics and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups were my drug of 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 being eight years old. I've I've long told you I'm going to revisit this again because <laughs> so so I, the last time I was there was during the airing of Michael Jordan's The Last Dance this last spring and summer. I think between episodes uh, before the evening of of episodes five and six, our family was gathering to watch <clears throat> this amazing documentary that Jordan produced, which reminded everyone what that he was the fiercest most ruthless competitor, winningest competitor of my lifetime. And uh, I had just gotten a hankering to relive once a year. Once a year, I get a hankering to go back to the old neighborhood. And it's about a 30-minute drive. And I did it. And that day, I did it in my open-air Jeep. So I uh, took out my, my Jeep that I bought with my new Mutants 100 royalty check, little little sidebar there. And I drove all the way back to Anaheim, the, the corner of Magnolia and Broadway. And it's so great. Augie, if you're listening to this, I'm giving you a shout-out because after I did this and after I discussed this, Augie DeBleek, who uh, for the, for, did, did, did an amazing column, Pipeline, for forever. He, he was on CBR. He was published forever. He did great columns about comic book personalities, characters, events. He was a comic book journalist, columnist. Uh, he actually went to Google Earth to check out my story and saw that, in fact, these places still exist. The, the Pizza Hut remains exactly where it is on the corner of Magnolia and Broadway. The Stater Brothers got turned into a gym and now I believe it's closed. Then on the the other two uh the other two corners of this 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 you know crosswalk, this this four-way crosswalk is a uh, was the liquor store and the 7-Eleven. The 7-Eleven now is at the location where the liquor store was and the liquor store is now I don't know. I don't know what, no the old 7-Eleven abdicated that and moved to where the liquor store is. And now the old 7-Eleven location, I don't know, I think is is maybe, uh, it's a taco place, I think, based on what I what I drove by and saw. But I always take out my camera, I take photos of these places, because these haunts, these, these places have such specific memories. I can remember going home on a Sunday night and seeing uh, Avengers, like this is, I mean, this really puts it uh, uh, before, way before 1975. I, I think it's Avengers 136, 
where uh, Frankenstein monster is battling Thor uh, on the cover of Avengers because they battled all these undead creatures. And my mom told me I could not buy that book. You got to put that back. That's that's you're not buying that. And I'm like, what? And I mean, twenty five cents, man. I just need this comic. And uh, you know, it, it was it was uh, Wonder Man, Frankenstein. Um, uh, Gentleman's Ghost, I think. These older, like, these phantoms were all haunting and attacking the Avengers in a two-part story. And the second part of this killer cover, I think it was John Romita Sr. or it was Gil Kane inked by John Romita Sr. But that cover was forbidden to me. Well, it was forbidden for me at that moment. It, the next day, I, I rode my bike and I got it. And and, and I really, those, that was some spotty distribution because I couldn't keep up with every issue of the Avengers. Then I'd see an issue where, like, like Vision is entering Yellow Jacket's body um, on a on a on a cover of of Avengers and Stater Brothers, but I couldn't afford it. Didn't have any money at the time. Didn't have two nickels to rub together, so I certainly didn't have twenty five cents. So I couldn't exit with that. But I've told you, Avengers one forty five with the Squadron Supreme story. That's where I started clicking and getting them every single week month. It became like I was on a roll. I, I could do this. But but that Frankenstein monster versus Thor, I'm gonna again I'm gonna shoot out there by memory. I think it may be Avengers 136, maybe, maybe not. But uh that is a memory being denied. Denied. You could not get that. That was on a that was on a Sunday night home coming home from Sunday evening church. And I don't know if we were just feeling extra holy, if the spirit of the Lord was 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 filling my mom up to say, do not let Rob near the comics. This is not the time. He will eventually become, you know, omniscient with comic books, but not today. And 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 so that those are the kind of memories I can remember walking in and seeing Giant Size X-Men number one and the lightning bolt that it struck in me. I can remember issues of champions, a character a, a comic book. That, that nobody really worships as much as I did. But I remember seeing Champions number one. It's Hercules, who was one of my favorite characters in Marvel, period. I've mentioned this in some other podcasts, the Rebel guys. It's Hercules. It's Luke Cage, Power Man. Eventually, you know, Namor, the Submariner, and Wolverine. I loved the guys with the hot tempers and and, and, and kind of e- easily provoked and and uh, and badasses. They could throw down. Those guys always got my my attention. and And so when I... I can remember seeing champions, Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, and two X-Men, Angel and Iceman, what? Um, and, and just being so thrilled at, at, at champions. And I can remember picking up at the liquor store when John Byrne, who's John Byrne is taking over this book, the same guy that I'm I'm digging on, on Iron Fist is drawing champions now, and he'll eventually in a few months be drawing X-Men 108, uh, X-Men 102, where they're battling the Juggernaut. Vivid memories, okay? Uh, all uh, Avengers 150, is the 7-Eleven. That's when, hey man, I'm able to buy these now. It only took like, you know, 14 issues to get complete clearance to just walk in and grab a comic and my parents not worry about it. I think they thought like, okay, this is really a harmless drug for young Robbie. It's, it's a harmless drug for him. And 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 so you got to understand, these this period of collecting comics is so, uh, it's so memorable to me. I, I, I Down to the shorts, the jeans, the shirts, whether I was on my scooter, my bike, or my roller skates, man. I was always getting my comic book hit at one of these places because, again, the Stater Brothers, which turned into the gym, which is shut down, also carried comics. And my biggest memory of that is walking in and seeing whatever amazing Spider-Man had Black Cat, the debut of Black Cat, and she's falling down the roof almost on top of him. That was pulled off Stater Brothers. I can do this with every comic I ever got, but this is a podcast and not a where is Rob's comics memory now. But the Vision and Scarlet Witch are just the most... 
um, complicated characters of this period. And so much so uh, that Scarlet Witch, as I said, you know, she's introduced in the X-Men and she becomes an Avengers. And so that Avengers comic is is coming out concurrently with her, the, the, the Cap Scarlet Witch Quicksilver Hawkeye lineup, which I didn't love because it didn't have Thor. I needed Thor. I needed Thor in my Avengers to make the Avengers like the best comic ever. And when Thor wasn't in it, I, I felt it. I just loved having him stand alongside Cap and all the rest. But the, the regular modern Avengers is coming out in the 145s, 146, 150. And Scarlet Witch and Vision are prominent in that book. So she's prominent in these reprints and she's prominent there. So she's very, very much a star of Marvel Comics, of Marvel stage and screen. No, I guess that's nowadays. She will become a Marvel stage and screen star. But at this time, she's a comic book star. And she was always, especially under the pencil of George Perez and then John Byrne, she was always very sexy. Purposely, very sexy, very voluptuous. That That is exactly how she was drawn. Janet Van Dyne, who was the Wasp, was good looking. Every comic book male and every comic book female, let's establish this, have good bodies, okay? They draw them with fit bodies. But it's different degrees of fit. Are you Raquel Welch or Olivia Newton-John? Okay, right? I mean, and in this instance, Scarlet Witch was always depicted as the Raquel, Raquel Welch. If you don't know who Raquel Welch is, um, you know, Google Raquel Welch. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll be amazed. She was the, the bombshell of her period, of her time. And obviously, Living and John, sexy as hell, made a, a living, you know, singing physical. And, and she's kind of like the more Janet Van Dyne, more slender, but all, all fit. They're all fit. Just like every actress on television, every Charlie's Angels, okay? Um, you know, may, maybe, maybe Janet Van Dyne was, was somewhere between, uh, you know, Kate Jackson on, on Sabrina on, on Charlie's Angels or, or, or Jacqueline Smith. Okay. Um, you know, but, but Scarlet Witch was, was, was Farrah Fawcett, Raquel Welch, whoever, what equivalent it would be today. I'm not even sure if we're allowed to say that women are sexy today. It's, it's a crazy time, a crazy world. You got to tread carefully. But back then I can go back and definitely... This is how these characters were depicted. Now, if you don't believe me, I'm going to read you an excerpt that was written by the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics here just shortly. I'm going to read to you how Wanda is seen by Iron Man, Tony Stark no less. Because here's the thing that they had by the 1970s, what's going on with Scarlet Witch is all the other Avengers members of the Avengers, including Hawkeye, including Iron Man, definitely Wonder Man, we'll get to him in a minute with, with the Vision, they would always go like, why is Wanda with that robot? Why is Wanda banging that droid? That's honestly what they're implying. And again, this is the mind of Steve Englehart. It will be continued by Jim Shooter. It will be continued by David Michelangelo. This is a through line. This idea, and I'm eight years old going, okay, they keep calling him an android and he has a red face and he's, an android is a robot. An android is a higher functioning robot as I understood in eight, at eight years old. And they got married. They're on the cover. They're getting married, okay? Scarlet Witch and Wanda got married. He put a ring on that thing, and a, and and they're sharing the marriage bed, okay? So by every, by every measure of the stick in the comic books that I'm reading as a kid, uh, Vision is doinking Scarlet Witch, period, end of story, okay? It's funny how they get around it in the in the latest WandaVision, the 70s episode, episode three. She goes, what'll our what'll our babies be? I love how she's got this awesome, she used to talk like this, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I am I am Wanda Maximoff in the early ones. Isn't it great how now, and how now she's got this fabulous, why darling, 
which I love. Elizabeth Olsen, she hung the moon. I love her. But she makes it... She makes an overture like, what's our baby's going to be like when she, you know, finds out she's pregnant? Are they going to be like half uh, synthesoid? And you're like, yeah, let's get to that. Let's get to that. Let's get to the fact that like a robot and a chick are doing it. They're, they're, and, and, and this is not 53-year-old Rob Liefeld's obsession. This is 8-year-old Rob Liefeld who I can see standing next to me right now, staring me down with his delicious bowl cut and his slightly... Um, well-formed Reese's peanut butter gut is telling me in his too tight in his too tight hang ten sh- shirt. If you were in the '70s, you were wearing hang ten shirts. Okay, period. End of story. You were wearing hang ten. They were probably oddly striped, either brown and 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 purple, or or all the all the stripes of the rainbow. But but kids my age understand garanimals match the top with the bottom and hang ten. So my hang ten shirts. I've seen some of those pictures. And uh, before I started wearing Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica shirts exclusively, I was wearing Hang Ten shirts. And I see him staring at me right now, going, "Can we still like discuss the fact that there's a robot and a chick?" And that's the brilliance of comics and sci-fi and all of the weirdness that comic books it makes available to us. And again, if this isn't in the page, baby, it ain't on your screen right now. Once a week, every Friday, by the twisted mind of Feige and his you know, mighty Marvelites that are giving us this wild and whimsical. And look, let me say again, I cannot recommend this show more highly. I love indie films. The thing I miss the most about films in this pandemic, my wife and I, there are two indie film houses that we have frequented our entire time dating, being being married. Um, there, One is in Irvine, one is in uh, Newport Beach. And we would always go see, we saw... I mean, uh, between Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood and uh, and The Master and um, uh, 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 Last Days of Disco, everything Wilt Stillman ever did. I mean, we 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 would see him at these indie houses. Um, I just like 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 even the last one, Wind River. Okay, Wind River was a limited independent release before it went wide. And these independent films, these independent film houses, get them first. And I, I hope. That, that we can survive them. Maybe one day I will own an independent film house and, and, and be able to curate it myself. I just, what a thrill, what, what an exciting, um, venue. And I love indie films. I love when the decisions are trickier, they're, they're, they're because your budgets are lower and you have to do more like bizarre and, and, and you, you should have a, 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 a more of a free reign to do like interesting things rather than blockbuster things. Blockbuster things are not the same as independent movie things. And for six years straight, we went to the Sundance Film Festival, which was, you know, the crown jewel of every independent film. My my, my, my uh, sister-in-law among the films that you would have heard of that she produced is But I'm a Cheerleader, which has gone on to become this like legendary status film. She produced that, debuted at Sundance. So I love indie films and WandaVision feels like Marvel making indie films for me. And right now I'm digging it so much. So I all the praise in the world in WandaVision. But we are here again discussing how creepy, weird, and and semi-erotic uh, this Wanda and Scar- Scarlet Witch Vision union is, okay? So, so forever, Scarlet Witch, very voluptuous, portrayed very sexy, everybody in the Avengers, even Cap's kind of like, ah, she's hot occasionally, okay? Everybody was would be like, wow, what's Wanda doing with that robot? Oh, man. Wanda is so fine. Wanda is so alluring. Wanda, Wanda, Wanda. Okay, here's the deal. 
This carried on for years. And Scarlet Witch was 100% absolutely depicted as one of the most beautiful women in the Marvel Universe. I would say the top, like, most beautiful women in the Marvel Universe since I was a kid is Jean Grey and Wanda Maximoff. That's it. Those two hung the moon. They are kind of the, uh, both under the pen of George Perez, John Byrne consistently, later Michael Golden, um, would just portray them in the most um, amazing, gorgeous, uh, you know, sensual manner. And and look, like I said, the men are always fit. E- even a character like the Beast, he's a, he's a blue ape, but he's fit. He's got hard pecs, abs, everybody. Come on, let's do this. Every male and female character have a different level of fitness, okay? And the two hottest, most beautiful women in comics at Marvel were Scarlet Witch and Jean Grey. But since we're talking about Scarlet Witch, we're going to stay with the focus here. And so she is on the Avengers forever, pretty much as soon as she's on Cap's limited quartet of himself, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye. And she stays there forever. And when the Vision is introduced originally as a villain, which is semi on, you know, semi on point with the Age of Ultron film where so many people were first introduced to Vision and Ultron. But Vision was for the, forever the reusable android body of the World War II Human Torch. Yes, if you're listening to this, there was a Human Torch before Johnny Storm, like, try, like, 30 years before Johnny Storm, and he had, like, another Human Torch named Toro, who was his, like, sidekick. So there's two Human Torches before Johnny Storm, and they put the heavy-duty spotlight on them when they revived the World War II fighting group, the Invaders, in the 70s, and that book almost ran 100 issues. It was really a fantastic uh, series, Captain America, Submariner, Human Torch, Toro, uh, just, just, just a great, great comic book, um, that, 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 that depicted the World War II adventures of your favorite World War II Marvel characters. But the android, cause yes, the Human Torch of the World War, of World War II was an android. His originally, and, and part of the idea that Roy Thomas had that Steve Englehart realized is that Human Torch, the android's dormant body, was the shell that Ultron built Vision out of. Now, later they retconned it and they separated and said there was two bodies. I'm not getting into this right now. I'm just doing what I grew up experiencing. There are so many retcons. We're going to bump over a couple of them in the, in, in the process of getting to where we're, we're going today. Vision is an android that is used by an existing comic book character's body and then there's Wonder Man. Who is Wonder Man? Is he Wonder Woman as a man? No. Get this. Early on in the Avengers, they battle a guy named Wonder Man. He's Simon Williams. He's as strong as Superman. He's super duper strong. He can take on Iron Man and Thor. They establish immediately how powerful he is. But in his very first appearance, he dies. Kind of cool. He then lays dormant forever. Simon Williams is a footnote in Avengers history until, supposedly, to give him life, Ultron puts the memories of Simon Williams into the robot android body of Human Torch, which is now going to be the Vision, who's going to infiltrate the Avengers and take them down from within per Ultron's plan. So the Vision is a weapon of Ultron that is originally meant to harm the Avengers before he turns out to be a hero. But he's got the android Human Torch from World War II's body and the memories of a dead nemesis of the Avengers. Now, where this gets weird and even cooler is in 1976, uh, <laughs> the, the Avengers uh, revive uh, via a villain called Black Talon, I believe, I'm going by memory here, Black Talon, it's a Jack Kirby cover, they revive through voodoo magic Wonder Man's body. 
he comes back to life after all these years, still as like invincible, like level durability on his skin. You can't, you know, harm him. Bullets bounce off him and strength along the lines of Superman. And this would continue. I mean, this is why the Avengers were so powerful for so long. But this time, they're reintroducing Simon Williams to actually implement him into the Avengers. And they do implement him into the Avengers. And Simon Williams is torn and haunted. And this is the great part about Simon Williams. After they face off against him as a vessel for Black Talon's vengeance on the Avengers, uh, Simon Williams uh, acclimates, rejoins the Avengers, not as a foe, but as a an ally, and they welcome him in and seek to rehab him, and he is terrified. He, The only memories he has is of when he died. And so now he's been reincarnated via voodoo. And here's the great thing that, that was, was great about this. Imagine having all the strength and power uh, and durability of Superman, and yet you're terrified. You're scared all the time. He had a fear because he has known death. He has died. And he always, there's a great, great... Uh, Avengers 162, when the Avengers are going into battle with Ultron, and it's down to Thor, Wonder Man, Black Panther, and Iron Man. They're the last four standing because Ultron has taken out Cap, Wasp, Vision, uh, Beast. Uh, he's taken Ultron has taken down the existing Avengers, and the surviving four are going into battle, and Wonder Man's like, and this stuff, this is the kind of stuff that sticks with you. He's flying alongside Thor, and he's like, how can I let everyone know how terrified I am? I believe I'm going to die again at the hands of Ultron if we enter this fray because I'm obsessed with death and I haven't been back alive very long and I desperately don't want to die. How do I tell my teammates I'm scared? So that's a great characterization, not something you read from Captain America or Iron Man or even Thor who's like, you know, to Valhalla. Like, let's go kick some righteous Nordic ass, okay? Wonder Man is terrified, but Wonder Man is now alive. And he learns that Vision has his supposed memories. And so then he's even going, I have a natural attraction to Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch. I'm naturally attracted to her. Is this why, like, Vision was attracted to her? Like, do we share a duality in these, in this personality, in these mind waves, in these brain waves? So she got Wonder Man walking around now, restored, and somehow Ultron downloaded his memories from his dead body into the android body that the vision inhabits. See why they didn't tackle this on film? You can see why they're like, uh, no, we'll just make you an android by, um, by Stark Industries via Ultron and we'll give you an Infinity Stone. So let me stop you right here. We're about 30 minutes into this podcast. There is no Infinity Stone on Vision when I am a kid. There is no Infinity Stone. His cool ass stone at the center of his head that was always there was where he fired his bolt of laser into your face and melted you and just and, and blasted you. And it was never, ever one of the Infinity Stones. But it, it, it made sense to then later, again, retcon, this time for the film verse, that that is an Infinity Stone that is you know, what basically makes or breaks vision and, and what everything hinges on. So that is not part of when I am uh, growing up and Thanos is not seeking any Infinity Stones to make him a badass. Thanos took down all of the Avengers on his own with his own power without the power of the Infinity Stones at all. That's how powerful they had Thanos being written. That's how, you know, complete Jim Starlin's vision was back in the 70s. Thanos was a badass and that's prior to the Infinity Stones being introduced, which was a, the Infinity Gauntlet is not till 1990. So Thanos is a deadly cosmic entity, a titan uh, uh, in, in the 70s and, and, and an absolute 
threat of, of galactic level in the Marvel Universe. But so Vision has this complicated history that they will later retcon because they separate this whole android body thing into two different separate bodies. It's not exactly the World War II. That doesn't come till 1989. But in the 70s, when I'm... A, a, obsessing over this. I am reading about an android who, and let's stop real quick. Vision was one of the most powerful Avengers. So when I say that Ultron took him out in the issue leading up to where the last four Avengers standing, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, and Wonder Man have to take him down. And by the way, Thor wasn't in the picture. He arrives on the scene ready to, wait for it, avenge his teammates, okay? He wasn't there in the, in the first takedown. Iron Man is barely standing, uh, T'Challa, Black Panther, arrives to assist. So the only two on site were Wonder Man and Iron Man when Ultron took the whole team down. But by taking the Vision down, Vision was portrayed as one of the most powerful Avengers. That whole phasing that he did, he would reach his hand in you, rip your guts out, distort your your innards, give you the, a, a nausea that would drop you, or he would solidify while inside of you. And the Vision could also, by my childhood... You know, adventures, very often they would communicate, oh no, Vision, Vision's going to turn as hard as a diamond, as hard as a diamond. He could punch you as hard as a diamond. His body could be solidify as hard as a diamond, or he could become in his neural kind of phasing self where he could pass through walls. I love in episode two of WandaVision, he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. How do, you, how do you pass a hat through a magician? And again, the phasing part where he go, he rises through walls, floors, you know, passes between objects, and, and 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 that all existed. He had his laser jewel, his phasing ability, and then he could become diamond hard. And there is a a, a guy who collects a bunch of the George Perez artwork and on on our original art group on Facebook. He showed this weekend that he just got in a page from I think it's uh, Squadron Supreme, either one forty five, one forty six. It's it's the George Perez uh, Avengers Squadron Supreme saga. And Vision is taking down three separate members of the Squadron Supreme. And there is a, uh, I think it's Lady Lark, who is the Black Canary with the Sonic Boom voice. There is the Golden Archer, who is the Green Arrow Echo. And I think he's taking, maybe he takes a swing at at, at a Hyperion. But the, the thing is, um, a guys on the thread admiring the actual original art that the buyer is showing everyone says, uh, remember when Vision was such a badass Wish, he, wish this was the vision depicted on screen. Now, all these guys are presumably, in my age, they're 40, 50. They're the old men of the sea, right? And uh, we just remember what a badass vision was. I mean, he literally was one of the most unstoppable, powerful, ruthlessly, uh, 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 you know, capable members, superheroes in the Marvel Universe. And he was cold and he was calculating. He always, much like Spock on Star Trek, I always felt like, the personality was derived from Spock, which was ironic that when data data uh, comes on the next generation, now it is the vision, you know, and the way he would process. And this is not human. I do not process this. This is just the way, you know, he would even say, I do not know why my, I am so attracted to you, Wanda Maximoff, but I am. And I have a devotion for you that is like no other. And she's like, and you're getting me hot and bothered, android baby. And now who knows, you know, why Wanda just always says she has this undying love for the vision, okay? And you just kind of accepted it because that's how they portrayed it. And again, they're coming out of the same bedroom, sharing the marriage bed. They're doing it. Um, the, the, you know, uh, Scarlet Witch and the vision, very complicated, very interesting uh, uh, 
relationship that was depicted through all these comics. And when if Wanda was hurt, Vision would go crazy. If Vision was hurt, Wanda would... I mean, they loved each other, okay? They loved each other. And I love the fact that this goes back as far as it does. I mean, Wanda being so old in regards to so early in the Marvel Universe and then Vision coming around in the 60s as this weapon to destroy the Avengers that then gets turned, becomes a member of the Avengers, one of the most powerful members of the Avengers, and then falls in love to see that his love is, you know, is 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 returned by this, this Wanda Maximoff. Now, here's the deal. Wanda and her brother Pietro, all through the 60s and 70s, were portrayed as the, the siblings of a guy named the Wizard, who was a super speedster in World War II. The, the, he was another one of these World War II characters that Marvel adopted that came from World War II, and then, then they introduced him as an older man, and he was Wanda and uh, uh, Pietro's father. So, and, and the Wizard became a part of a bunch of these storylines in the Avengers in the 70s, and you, you began to see, like, that he had this kind of a semi-regretful relationship. Uh, he wasn't the best dad in the world to Wanda and to to Pietro. And uh, I mean, it's so again, we are just getting started um, in 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 the entire breakdown of the parentage of Wanda and Pietro. And again, this this gets to be absolutely crazy. And and you're going to see why the Marvel. It's going to be interesting to see where Marvel. The MCU goes with this, given where it's been in the comic books. But um, the the character biography is that um, you know they were the 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 children of the wizard, and uh, you know, and and he had fallen in love with uh, you know this woman named Miss America. So that they're, they're, they're the parent, they're the children of superheroes who the wizard and. Uh, Miss America were part of another World War II fighting team at Marvel called the Liberty Legion, and they were they were allies with the Patriot and uh, and Blue Diamond and I mean just a whole bunch of uh, of uh, Bucky was on the Liberty Legion for a while, um, but but Miss America and the Wizard are the parents of the, the these mutant children. Okay, but we foresee them with Magneto and. You know, there's there's an entire episode where like Wanda in the Avengers is trying to save her father, the Wizard, um, you know, from from going crazy, and he's getting old. His name's Robert Frank, and uh, then here's where things get weird. You go, well, well, well. So he was like an absentee father because somewhere along the line they fell under the spell of Magneto. So what's this old, um, what's this old superhero doing? You know, not paying attention to his kids and letting them fall in with Magneto, who makes him a part of his vaunted, terif- terrifying Brotherhood of Evil mutant that stands, mutants that stands toe-to-toe with, with, uh, with the Avenger, I mean, the X-Men, time and again, early on in the history of the X-Men, in the history of the Marvel Universe. So, again, we are looking at this entire idea that, that their parentage is with these other superheroes. So two superheroes got together and they had these kids, but what's with the abandonment? How did they end up with Magneto? Well, that all becomes the big twist because the Magneto twist is the thing I really want to get to. Scarlet Witch and Pietro are going to be introduced as the children of Magneto and it all starts 
in the most surprising um, issue. And again, you want to. This is where it pays off. Where I remember where I picked up my comics. I'm at Foodland in Anaheim because we've moved. I don't. I don't live off Magnolia and Broadway anymore. Now I live off Trident and Euclid. And Foodland was the bomb. It had the most comics. That and the U-Totem. U-Totems were kind of like stop and goes, and stop and goes were like 7-Eleven. They were both like the 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 third cousins of 7-Eleven. Stop and go, U-Totem. U-Totem was behind my house by a few blocks, and Foodland was in front of it by a few blocks, and, and that was where I got my comic book drug addiction met in, in, in the late 70s into the early 80s before I discovered comic book stores. But in, a, in, in X-Men issue 125, which came out in 1979, the X-Men are working out in a, it's one of those kind of days of our lives episodes that, that a comic book uh, team often does, whether it's the Teen Titans, Justice League, X-Men, Avengers, just where, you know, you're going to visit the characters on their premises, working out, having different conversations, maybe having dinner, sharing a beer at a bar before the action gets ramped up again. There's a great issue of the Avengers where Cap and Ms. Marvel are taking a walk around the grounds of Avengers Assemble and people are trying to, uh, of Avengers Mansion and people are trying to scale the wall and Cap is maintaining his conversation with Ms. Marvel while casually dispatching via his shield, throwing it and returning it to his hand. These kids trying to climb over the walls. It's very funny, but it's one of those days of our lives, days of our lives episodes in X-Men 25 is exactly that. We start out with, with Jean Grey's powers being tested by Maury McTaggart. We then pivot over to the X-Men working out in the danger room. We then go to Jean Grey who hallucinates um, later on in the issue that she's in a Victorian atmosphere. And this is all because uh, be, 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 because she she's in the early stages of being taken over by Jason Wingard, who's going to turn out to be mastermind. Holy crap, can you see? This is all as they pivot towards the Proteus saga. They're going to head to Muir Island. But in the intermittent stages of this story, in the middle of this book, there is an interlude. It says interlude. It's an asteroid. It's called Asteroid M. This is the first time I've heard of Asteroid M. It is Magneto's floating asteroid home. And it looks like a giant, like, nation in the sky. This is a this is not just any asteroid. This is a giant floating hunking piece of gino rock. And Magneto is tending to his wounds. So we see that he's alive following his uh, battle with the X-Men a year prior where a volcano collapsed on all of them. And he's tending to his wounds where he's been settled since Antarctica. This, and he's watching his very first encounter with the X-Men on a screen, very clearly depicted. And then it says abruptly, the image on the screen before him changes. And it's one, two, three, four, four separate panels where Magneto is looking at a face that is identical to the way John Byrne draws, because he's the artist of this, issue, of this issue, the way John Byrne draws Scarlet Witch. He is looking exactly at Scarlet Witch, except she she doesn't have her headdress on. She's very youthful. And he says, Magda, but, but how? Oh, I see. The memory circuits have accidentally cross-connected. Magda, my late wife, we're dwelling on her for four panels, her face. My late wife, I'd almost forgotten how beautiful you were, how deeply it hurt when you ran away from me. But that was long ago when I still believed I was only human. I'm older now and I've learned my lessons well. Soon all the world will tremble before my power. But Magneto isn't the only one with plans afoot this morning. And we turn the page and we're going to continue with the X-Men stuff. But that one episode, I am on the curb, outside Foodland, and I'm like, hey, Magneto's back. Wait, what? He's in love with Scarlet Witch? Oh, that's not Scarlet Witch. Her name's Magda? What? She ran away from him? 
This is the debut of the pivot where Scarlet Witch and Pietro are no longer going to be the son and daughter of the Wizard and Miss America. Now it gets even better. Over in the Avengers in 1979, because we're coordinating. This is not happening, you know, out of sync. Over in the Avengers in 1979, <clears throat> written by the aforementioned David Miscellany and uh, Stephen Grant, who did a co-plot co co on this. This is 1979. The, uh, the Avengers, specifically Quicksilver, Pietro, is drawn to Wondagore Mountain. Wondagore Mountain in the lore of, uh, of, of Marvel is famous for this storyline. Wanda has been contacted by a sorcerer named Modred who is up to no damn good, okay? But uh, Quicksilver is having dreams of his life as a young gypsy. Again, Pietro Maximoff. Remember how Elizabeth Olsen talked in the early movies of Avengers. Oh, Pietro, are you okay? Is Ultron going to kill us? Okay, before she was like, darling, wow, your indestructible head. I love both voices. So Pietro in Avengers, let me give you a, 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 the, the title of this beautiful Avengers. They're on the cover, both like pointing to the sky. They're in the middle of the streets in some, in, uh, in, in some Slovakian town. It's the Yesterday Quest. At last, the origin of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch revealed. So check this out. So Pietro is having dreams of his childhood as a young a young gypsy boy. And the face of his mom is the Magda face that we've seen on Asteroid M that Ma that Magneto was pining over. And she kind of looks like the way they drew Miss America. So is it Miss America or is it Magda? Well, we're about to find out. Well, at the same time, Modred, the sorcerer, contacts Scarlet Witch and says, you've got to come with me. We've got to discover the truth about you and, and, and you need to assist me. Now, all the while, he's going to try and turn her evil, which of course he does. And this is actually a year before Dark Phoenix. You got Dark Scarlet Witch before you got Dark Phoenix. The combining force here is John Byrne. He did both. They get up to Wondergore Mountain. There's these defenses that are activated and this, uh, this kind of like futuristic um, uh, uh, base fortress that is on top of Wondergore Mountain. And so Quicksilver who is about as fast as the Flash, I mean, in the Marvel Universe, speeds after his sister and fires himself up this mountain, traveling at such a rate that he's carrying above above the ground. It's like he's almost flying. He's going so fast. And he hits a barrier and he's knocked down at the end of this issue of this, of this, this, this uh, what they call it? Which quest was it? At, at Yesterday Quest. He is awakened and he can't really make out at the edge of the bed, who's tending to him? He's got bandages. He's being fed soup. And she says, but you're just full of questions, aren't you? You would, you should rest. You've been terribly hurt. I assure you that all will be answered in due time, Pietro. And who would know better than the one who brought you into this world? And he's like, what? Because he's looking at a cow. It's a cow woman. And her name is, hey, we get extra points. This is original. Bova. Bova the cow lady. Bova. On the splash page of the next issue, 186, she says, I probably saved your life, Pietro. As the one who brought you into the world, I could do no less. Now drink this hot soap. Now, I, I didn't give the fact that he's looking at a cow woman in a dress and in robes um, serving him soup. I didn't. I, we, we need to stop and dwell on that. It's, it's an amazing looking page. It's, of course, drawn by John Byrne, no less. The expression of Quicksilver is fantastic. And Bova is just, oh, she's, she's cool looking. 
Bova. She saved him when he ran into the barrier going up the mountain and tumbled. She re- recovered him and has nursed him back. And now we're going to find out this, this true story. And so the high evolutionary is, it represents a storyline that was told throughout Marvel, whether it was a warlock story, a Hulk story. Um, he's the high evolutionary and he was actively, um, uh, uh, you know, evolutionizing people and and that's where you get talking bulls okay he 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 uh evolved a bull into a talking bull woman named bova she says this is how i did it i stepped on the platform high evolutionary transformed me i was uh made to care for others and one night someone came to her door in 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 their cabin at, at their base in town and uh and and it was magda a woman heavy with child. So they've given her backstory. The high evolutionary created her and Magda arrives heavy with child. She told of a husband who had gained strange powers and abilities that sent him raving mad with a desire to rule the world, fearful of his madness and that it would corrupt her children. She fled. Okay. And she goes into Bova's care and, uh, heard she had heard. Okay. This is a giant leap. Magda had heard of Wondergore. Well, there's a giant, you know, fill in the glass. She had heard of Wondergore. So she sought asylum in Wondergore where Bova cared for herself, where she says, I cared for her myself. And we became very close. And the time came for me to midwife her. It was more of a privilege than a duty. I helped deliver twin infants that night. You, Pietro, and your sister, Wanda. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. So uh, a cow woman delivered uh, can, can we see Bova on one division? This just occurred to me. I, I'm not going to be fine with all of this until we see Bova, the cow lady on one division. Okay. Saying I raised you, uh, Elizabeth Olson, her, her, uh, you Pietro and your sister Wanda, whose tiny form momentarily mirrored the mysterious lights that filled the sky the night that you were born. And it shows again, Magda is drawn to look exactly like the Scarlet Witch that we know and love. And, uh, Magda was pleased with her offspring, and yet it seemed a pleasure tinged with resolve. Thus it came as a little shock when days later, Boba found her gone, leaving only a note expressing fear that if she remained alive, her unnamed husband might force knowledge of their children from her. She took the children to the high evolutionary. The high evolutionary, you guys got to get, you know, eventually Feige's going to, you know, play the high evolutionary card. He is a big time, big deal to the Marvel Universe. He's, again, he's tangled with the Avengers, the X-Men, the Hulk, uh, Warlock, all of them. I took the children of my Lord High Evolutionary. This is Bova takes the children to the Lord High Evolutionary. He is a killer, killer looking character. He even battles, guys, High Evolutionary goes toe-to-toe with Galactus at some point. This, This is how badass this guy is. As if from some great conflict, he was weary from some great conflict. He then summoned a visiting couple down in the village, Robert and Madeline Frank. Madeline Frank just so happens to be Miss America, who just so happens to look like Magda, who just so happens to look like Scarlet Witch. This all works, okay? They were happy to take these children as their own. So this is the retcon right here. We are now explaining how Miss America and Wizard were identified for so long as the parents of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So I performed one more one more time as midwife because Wanda Frank is, is, uh, is, is pregnant and, and Robert and Madeline Frank, I'm, I'm sorry, not Wanda, Madeline Frank is, is expecting a child and the child dies 
Okay. Childbirth, the, the, the kid dies. And uh, they, they had planned and informed them that they were going to give them Pietro and, and, and Wanda as well as deliver this child that Miss America is going to have. Again, Miss America is her superhero name from the Liberty Legion in World War II. Uh, Bo- Bo- Bova tries to deliver the kid and dies in childbirth, okay? After seeing that his one true child from Miss America is dead, Robert Frank runs away at super speed, at super speed uh, dejected by all of it. Just, he can't. He's grief-stricken and he leaves, okay? So he basically only accepts parentage for them in, in, in that moment. So that's where he believes and tells them, I'm your dad, but it's kind of complicated. And we don't fill in the blanks until 1979 with the story. So where do they go? Uh, High Evolutionary appears between uh, uh, to, to these two gypsies named Maximoff, uh, Django Maximoff, Django, like Django Unchained, Django, and gives them to the Maximoffs who will raise them as their long lost children. And Pietro says, so Django is the man who raised me. That's the story. That's what my dreams are about. Why is everything so hard to remember? And Bova says, it's the trauma of all that you have borne. Okay. And then he says that she left, you know, Wondagore behind and left on the rocket with high evolutionary for years. So, so she, she, she isn't even around, but then now she's back and she's back because, uh, there's danger. And that danger is Modred, and that plays out as he turns Scarlet Witch. But they use this storyline, and of course they save Scarlet Witch's life, but but Scarlet Witch's life, but it is in this story, as so many before it. Like I was telling my wife, you don't understand. Scarlet Witch, I said that Scarlet Witch and Jean Grey were the two most beautiful members of the Marvel Universe. Make no doubt about it, they are portrayed as the two most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe for the better part of two decades. But Jean Grey eats planets, that's next level. But Wanda is the only thing that ever pulls their bacon out of the fire where where Ultron is concerned because she warps probabilities and he has no defense for that. He can take Thor's hammer. He can take Iron Man's blast. He can ricochet Cap's shield off of him. But Wanda's powers of probability, her mutant magic, which distorts reality, disrupts Ultron and has taken him down numerous times. When she is turned into Dark Scarlet Witch here, um, she completely, uh, you know, overpowers Captain America, Falcon, Ms. Marvel, Quicksilver, Wonder Man, remember, who's as powerful as Superman. So when you go, oh, she overpowered Captain America. Yeah, he's kind of a guy. But Wonder Man, Superman level, Wasp level, she is, uh, this is all, uh, you can get this in a trade paperback called Knights of Wondergore Mountain, but pulling these off the newsstand is rich as rich could be. So your history lesson is not complete, Okay. Again, she's super powerful. Scarlet Witch is super powerful. So the idea that she is able to create alternate realities like the one that we're seeing, which I believe is probably part of what we're seeing, is that her warp, mind-bending, reality-warping powers are in full bore on WandaVision. But I'm not really concerned with that. They'll reveal that when they need to reveal that. But how they can do this is because her level of power in the Marvel Universe is just massive. It's, 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 it's terrific. But I mentioned earlier about how all the guys in the Marvel Universe would crave Scarlet Witch. Well, here's the deal. Marvel did a, did a deal with Pocket Books, with Pocket Books in 1979. And this is when you would go into bookstores. So Walden Books was a big one. Um, it was the Barnes & Noble of its time. Right at the front, 
Marvel made a really smart deal to get novelizations of all their characters. And these are a buck ninety-five. And in this book that I'm going to read out of you today, but they did ones of Ultra, of, of Avengers, of Daredevil, many of Spider-Man, Hulk, capitalizing on Spider-Man movies on CBS, the Hulk TV show on CBS, Doctor Strange. They did a couple with Doctor Strange, capitalizing on his movie on CBS, Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four novel written by Marv Wolfman is the single best Doctor Doom story I've ever read, period, full stop. The Kang the Conqueror, it's called The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. It is one of the Avengers Bantam books, The Man Who Stole Tomorrow, written by David Michelini, no less, is fabulous. I was able to gush all over David Michelini at the Venom premiere a couple years back over The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. He's like, wow, you're really into it. I thought you were going to talk to me about Venom. He, I am like, no, th th that Avengers story, Brother Bear, a future where everything is plastic. Uh, these, these are all tenants of his Kang the Conqueror massive epic called The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. It, these books were fantastic. I would read them on trips. I would read them on weekends. I would read them, wait for it, at church, okay? Because they were small enough to snuggle in, smuggle into, 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 into the sanctuary, right? So this Marvel novel series number nine, this, the Marvel superheroes, gave four different, not even short stories, short stories. They're all really good like mini novels, a Daredevil, an Avengers, an X-Men, and a Hulk. Well, I'm going to read you an excerpt. Jim Shooter wrote the Avengers story, This Evil Undying. They later adapted this in 1980-81 into Avengers number 201 and 202, but it is nowhere near as satisfying. But I'm going to read you an excerpt. This is the first story in the book, This Evil Undying. It had this, it resurrected the threat of Ultron again, but Iron Man has... Uh, has, has has taken on in this experiment he's conducting too much power and feedback and he's blown back and he's knocked unconscious and I'm going to read to you from page 20 of the Marvel superheroes of the Marvel novel series number nine written by Jim Shooter and uh are you well Iron Man Wanda spoke softly always with great dignity and sincerity she had the merest hint of a Balkan accent which laced her speech with exotic undertones. Okay, so right there, exotic undertones, okay? They love to write and draw her sexy, but you have not heard or seen anything yet. Fine, says Iron Man. I'm fine. Careful not to let his gaze dwell too long on her handsome body. She was tall, almost five feet ten, devastatingly voluptuous. The kind of woman whose every move, <laughs> the kind of woman whose every movement evokes male fascination. A symphony of sensual curves. She wore what resembled a one-piece strapless bathing suit, wine red and form-fitting over a lavender red body stocking, low-heeled boots, long gloves, and a full flowing cape, all wine red, completed her attire. Her long, wavy auburn tresses spilled down over her shoulders, framing her face. Nobility showed in the high arc of her brows, her long lashes, and her delicately sculpted nose. Her lips were dark and full. There was a softness in her features that bespoke compassion, and yet somehow, disturbingly, the potential for coldness, even cruelty, was evident in her sea-green eyes. They met Iron Man's. Something clicked in Iron Man's brain. Something violent, something deadly possessed him. His muscles tensed, stiffened, as if to spring. No, no, not yet. It passed. A chill raced down Iron Man's spine as he abruptly became aware again. He felt like a late-night motorist roaring down the dark highway, suddenly awakening, terrified to find that he had nodded off at the wheel. For a second? Two? Five? Not yet. What? Wanda inquires. What? said Iron Man. He remembered nothing, save a vague, troubling thought that had rumbled through his mind beneath the, le beneath the level of his consciousness. Are you okay, Iron Man? says the Vision. I'm just tired. 
Iron Man involuntarily wondered at the oddity before him. So now we are going to talk about how Iron Man, Tony Stark, as written by Jim Shooter, who is the editor-in-chief, by the way. He is the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, as well as one of their most successful, most popular writers at the time. So now he's writing how Iron Man sees the vision. Just tired, Iron Man involuntarily wondered at the oddity before him. What was this dazzling, sensual beauty doing married to this machine-like man? What was this dazzling, sensual beauty doing married to this machine-like man? Remember, the sensual beauty that he, des- that he described, Tony Stark sees her as devastatingly voluptuous. The kind of woman whose every movement, movement evokes male fascination. A symphony of sensual curves, okay? Jim Shooter is hitting this point hard, as I told you. She is the most beautiful woman in the Marvel Universe. Let's get back to how he sees the vision. What was this dazzling, sensual beauty doing married to this machine-like man? Or was it a man-like machine? He's a synthesoid, an artificial solar-powered being, a melding of chemically synthesized organs with computer circuits. Uh, A thing. He, dot, 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 it arrived at its version of feelings through binary logic. And then it was virtually incapable of expressing emotion, much less passion. She, on the other hand, he had known lesser women somewhat like her. She would be a raging volcano of passion. She was the kind of woman. The man in armor stopped himself there. He shuddered at how easily he had lapsed into prejudicial self-justification. Was it jealousy? Was it fear? This morning, all things computer-like bore a sinister association, even his ally, the Vision his friend. With cooler eyes, he looked at Wanda and realized the irony in in the attack of his prejudice. She was also a victim of a man's hatred and injustice. She was a mutant, homo superior, born with an extra ability denied mere mortals. Hers was the power to alter probabilities, to change the odds of an event's occurrence. She could simply point, cast a hex, and cause the improbable to become imminent with a casual gesture she could make a chandelier fall or the chair leg break. Science could not explain it. Men called it sorcery, and perhaps it was. Or perhaps it was simply science beyond human ken. It didn't matter. She was different, and humans had made her suffer because of it. She had seen so much cruelty. Okay, so you get the point. She's super powerful. We've established this. But Tony Stark is openly lusting her, lusting after her in her one-piece strapless bathing suit and her lavender red body stocking and her symphony of sensual curves. And remember, she's a volcano of passion. So dudes, this is how Marvel was selling this to kids like me. In 1979, I'm 11, okay? I'm 11 years old and I'm like, woo, baby, Tony Stark has the hots for Scarlet Witch. You can see the way she was drawn, the way she was written about is very sexual, sensual. And again, they're alluding to She's doing it with a machine, okay? So this is the stuff that I am absorbing as a kid. They get married, okay? They are wed. They share the medic, the, the, the wedding bed, okay? He's an android. She's a tormented mutant who is one of the most powerful in the Marvel Universe. His origin, which is, I'm an android restored with the memories of another dude named Simon Williams, who's dead, but who's going to come back alive. And again, again, later on, Wonder, Wonder Man's even like, oh man, if I could get with with Wanda. Again, just like I read you this Tony Stark, they would do that in the comics with Wonder Man gazing upon her, saying, I shouldn't look at her the way I do. And, and so everybody on the Avengers had the hots for Scarlet Witch, and she chose the robot, okay? So this is the kind of stuff I was telling my wife. And again, 
how powerful she is. She is so powerful that she has warped the Marvel Universe again. You've heard a lot about House of M. I'm not here to go into that today. It's famous for her changing probability, changing reality, giving over to a giant Marvel event. And, uh, and it was fun, and it changed things, and it gave a bunch of, obviously, probabilities, you know? It changed characters who are members of each different group and who was members of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it was a great story. Great art by Olivier Coipel. Um, the next the next year would come Civil War, the biggest Marvel crossover ever. But uh, So Scarlet Witch has always had this giant role in the Marvel Universe, and Vision has always had this giant role, but from 1975 to about 1982, I mean, they got their own spinoff. They got the Vision Scarlet Witch miniseries by Bill Mantlo and Rick Leonardi, and then they got their own extended series. And, and, and I mean, again, attention on that couple, on those two characters, was intense my entire childhood reading. And I am talking, again, seven years old, eight years old, nine, 10, 11, 12, and, and they are dwelling on her sensuality, sexuality, how powerful she is, and that she is married to a robot. I did this today to just celebrate how awesome and weird and strange comic books are and the stories that involved me as a kid. And like I said, I was getting Wanda and 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 Quicksilver as a part of the Captain America team in the early 60s, where they were these troubled mutant, you know, siblings. And then later they were revealed to be the kids of two glorified World War II superheroes. But then it was that he really wasn't their dad and it was Magneto. And so then you get to Magneto, Magneto and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And, and so, so Magneto is their dad. Okay. And, and that was thrilling to me. And then, and that lasted for again, better part of two decades. Magneto is their father, and then that puts X-Men 4 in a whole different light. He's not even revealing to him that he's their true dad, that, that their mom died in childbirth. He's not revealing the, like, it, the, it, it's one of those great retcons that we read about in the X-Men issue that, that reveals that, that he is their dad pining away for their, for their dead mother on, on Asteroid M, Okay. So in X-Men 25, when we first touch on that, and then we go into Wondergore Mountain, and we found out the tr- find out the true parentage, and let me tell you, also at this time, this is when Magneto, in the late 70s, early 80s, became Marvel's most powerful, most celebrated, most popular villain. His throwdowns with the X-Men were epic. He would throw down with the Avengers, the champions. He kind of took the mantle from Doctor Doom as biggest villain on the Marvel stage, simply by the way he was portrayed so wonderfully by Claremont and John Byrne, and then... Claremont and Dave Cockrum and all of these intricacies and then this parentage that, oh, these are my kids after all. What we didn't tell you on the cover to X-Men number four is that I'm with my son and daughter, not just two troubled siblings I picked up somewhere. Very complicated. How? This is the only way that I'll speculate going forward. I know that due to the fact that Disney, that Marvel did not own own the X-Men as a media property for 20 years, they changed that. They changed it again. They took that parentage, that that they, they they changed that, and Magneto was no longer supposed to be their father. But they've retconned so many times. I hope to God they find their way back because that is when they were at their most rich, tormented. When I mean rich, the richest their character was, um, most complicated, and it does um, give me hope that as the mutants are introduced, that a great complication would be that those two kids. 
in the MCU that were originally adopted by Baron Strucker were offspring in the same way that they were here abandoned by a mother who was trying to hide hide them, abandoned by her death. She died, but she fled, uh, fearing that what they would become under their father. So, you guys, today was the deep, deep dive in the weeds of Wanda Maximoff and the vision with a little sidebar of Pietro Maximoff, who I've always dug, wish they did more stuff with him. But uh, the Magneto patronage, the Wondergore Mountain, the High Evolutionary, Simon Williams, the original Human Torch, Ultron, Vision as a bad guy. Um, I mean, this is crazy. These are This is complicated. This is why comics were, were better than most novels that I read. And I read Lord of the Rings. I read Logan's Run, the novelization. I actually liked Logan's World better. Um, the sequel to Logan's Run is fantastic. In, in novelization, I've never seen it adapted other than that novel. Um, but I read a lot. Obviously, I was a just voracious reader when I was a kid. And comic books would always come up stronger than most of the other material that I encountered. It was just these guys, Steve Englehart and Jim Shooter and David Michelini, who authored so much of what I've sh- shared with you today. Also, Roy Thomas with the original Vision stuff. Um, these are just amazing talents, and the and the art and and the artists who portrayed them, the Burns, the Perezes, the John Buscemas, staggering talents. If you can get on board, go and check all this out. Uh, collect this material, this Marvel superheroes, besides that creepy Tony Stark checking out Scarlet Witch excerpt that I read you. Remember, I read that to you. Those are Jim Shooter's words. These novels were great. If if, if you can get on and get these, they're hard to get. I've got my originals. I rebought a couple at a show because I saw them because I can never have enough. But The Man Who Stole Tomorrow by David Michelinie, the Avengers one, is fantastic. And the Fantastic Four one, which is all Doctor Doom, is, it's got the best origin of Doctor Doom ever. It, 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 it takes you through his childhood, up through his collegiate years, up to his tormented, um, you know, uh, uh, wandering kind of tor- tortured self as he discovers what it is to be Doctor Doom. He he becomes a, he he dabbles in the dark arts. He becomes a sorcerer. It's great. These novels are great. They they have burned such a place in my memory. I was able to tell Marv Wolfman also. It's the best depiction of Doctor Doom I have ever read, and he was so kind. Um, this is a great age for Marvel, again, but what you're seeing right now with WandaVision, with Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany and all this magic that they're creating, it's, it, it comes from some deep, rich places. But they kind of dance around the fact that this is a woman making it with a robot, which, come on, man, like that's Black Mirror stuff in today's society. Like, I, like if I sat down and started to tell my kid about this, and I'm going to wrap with this, today on the Today Show, they were talking about Larry King dying, Okay. Larry King passed away this weekend, famous talk show host, um, and 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 the Today Show showed these clips, and my son was sitting there on the couch eating his cereal while we're, you know, we're all doing our breakfast thing, watching the Today Show, and uh, they say, but no Larry King clip is better or more, you know, legendary than this one, and it showed Larry King and Marlon, Larry King sit, sitting on Marlon Brando's lap as they sing a song together. And my son said, who's that? And I said, that's Marlon Brando. And he goes, who's that? And I said, he's like one of the most famous actors ever. For what? And at that point, I went, oh my gosh, the gap, the age gap, right? But of course there is. How would he know who Marlon Brando is? I said, son, the godfather, Apocalypse Now. Um, um, He's the dad in Superman. I mean, and before I went any, any further down his, you know, storied film career. I just stopped because going back further isn't going to help the argument. But maybe now we can sit and watch The Godfather. 
and maybe he can absorb Brando because he has an appetite for that stuff. And now that he's been, he actually had met and befriended uh, Larry King's youngest kid. And that's how he knew instantly who Larry King was. Um, just from here in Southern California, Los Angeles, mutual friends. But Marlon Brando, total mystery to him. Why was this clip the most the most famous that they could show? Why did the Today Show show, show hosts say, none more legendary than this, okay? So this is what it's all about. The deep dives, getting into the weeds, Vision, Scarlet Witch, that is some deep, deep stuff. They were the stars of the Marvel Universe in the 1970s. So many storylines. When they got married, it was an event, okay? It was an Avengers annual. It was a big deal. And again, like I said, they had passion for each other. They looked out for each other. They were so intertwined. And now to see this, you know, come to life via this show, even if Vision is a manifestation of her trauma in this show, who knows what it is. It's great to see Paul Bettany back. He's so great. He's so great. He's getting, we're going to get nine, what, nine half hours of him. So, I mean, we're, we're getting a lot of time with him again as Elizabeth Olsen, you know, is, 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 becomes a new focus. She is so powerful. They could do so many things with her going forward. And they should do more in the comics too. Because what did I just spend an hour talking to you about? Comic books. Because that's what I love. And I'm glad that you guys love it too. And thank you for listening to this show. And thank you for hanging out with me. And please, please, please spread the word about Rob Observations. Subscribe. Recommend it to your friends. Get the word out. Thank you for growing this audience as much as you do. On social media, I am on Twitter. At Robert Liefeld. With the blue check mark. That's really me. Not some phony guy. Um, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. Same on Instagram with the blue check, but I'm at Rob Liefeld. Shorter, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. Find me. Let, let's talk. Let's exchange thoughts. I love talking to you guys. I love hanging with you guys. Thank you again um, for hanging out with me today. We will back. We will be back soon with another comic book, pop culture. I mean, everything from my childhood is blowing up, okay? Period. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that I was born when I was and I experienced what I experienced when I experienced it and I'm able to break it down for you guys as it comes to life on the bigger stage um, nowadays right in front of all of us with glorious hundreds of millions of dollars of budgets, right? Crazy. Okay, so guys, you know the drill. You're going to take care of yourself and uh, stay safe. Please, we will talk again soon. (laughs) 